I knew you were going to say this because <laughs> I hate that scene. That actually was so that upset me more than anything when I was like nine years old. I was like, "Don't do this!" Oh, you're still doing it. Oh, we're lingering on this shot, and his face like a moronic fascination. It's like I can't. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> Welcome to One Fucking Hour. I am Evan Husney. Joined, we got uh, to my left here, I'm joined by Tom. What's going on, Tom Fitzgerald? Hi, guys. Uh, greetings from Underlit Land over here. Uh, <laughs> I know. My, uh, my, cheap, my cheap light broke, so I'm going to be a little uh, like looking like there's a... Uh, a, a um, like a light in the back of a car that's lighting. <laughs> yeah, you look it's like, like annoying uh, orange. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> looks like yeah, you're like on emergency override mode or something. Uh, you right. Know, happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Red alert over I'll here. Switch like, to auxiliary power. Yeah, yeah. 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 Self-destruct I'm on auxiliary power. Mode. Yeah. Like yeah. Self-destruct. T minus uh, fifty-nine minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, we also got over to my right. We got Marcus Herring. What's going on, Marcus? Welcome back. What's up? I'm noticing I'm a little under, like lit from underneath now. I'm going for yeah. that kind of like spooky vibes, Good. I guess. Yeah. Well, Halloween leftovers. And you're oh. not in the sauna anymore, or wherever you were. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they let me out. For, <laughs> yeah. They let me that's out. Cool. <laughs> um, like, well, this like is one, um, one hour a week. Well, I just wanted yeah. to. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say uh, thanks, everybody, for checking out last uh, our last episode, which was our top 10 uh, obscure slash deep cut horror film recommendations. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we got a Crazy. lot of guys. We got a lot of amazing feedback on that. I think people want to mm-hmm. see us do more top 10 lists. I had a blast. I thought it was uh, it was fun. And so I think we'll definitely uh, do more of those in the future. But guys, I'm yeah. really excited that we are stepping outside of the horror genre, even though there's some horrific elements in tonight's movie. But uh, it, well, sure. But it feels like I, I've lost complete track uh, of the day, of a pre-horror because it feels yeah. like we did horror before that, like we did pin and stuff. You pin, know what I mean? So I'm maniac. <laughs> yeah, and I'm forgetting like a I know my, my neck beard started to grow in for reals. You yeah. know, we did so many it's horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's nice to step out of that genre and do something mm-hmm. a little different, getting back to I our think roots. We're getting, I was just going to say because our roots being the first episode we did was Deliverance. And right. what I mean by that is like uh, we didn't have any plan for this show, but it, we wound up usually saying let's just like hit up classics, you know, like these big films that a lot of people love and that we love and are enthusiastic about, but it's our take on them. So we would do like, like Deliverance and uh, – yeah, you know, Superfly. You know, gems, so we're back to g- gems and classics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Course. So we're definitely yeah. hitting up uh, a big title. So yeah, big- we are returning to the AFI Top 100 list for tonight's movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're TCM sponsored now, right? We're yeah. gonna try to do all 100. Yeah. yeah. TCM <laughs> is uh, Ben Mankiewicz is gonna come on next week. You know, yeah. we're gonna do. Uh, yeah. We're gonna Peter, do. Um, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, corpse Marcus will be on Tiffany's. next week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we we uh, either will we either teeter between TCM or Tubi. I think we're somewhere teeter. in between. Um, but 
<laughs> Here we go. Uh, tonight's episode is episode 47 of the show. We're about to embark on one fucking hour on one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Our first one title, guys, by the way. Um, so uh, very excited. Uh, of course, this is the show where we talk about <laughs> one movie for one fucking hour, and it's one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So let's... Uh, <laughs> shall we start that clock, well, that's, guys? Is that three? That's... I don't, I'm not good at math. That's three ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm starting the clock. Bang. All right, there we go. Um, little okay. bit of backstory. Not much is really required for this movie because it's so acclaimed. Um, but just why the hell not? 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is Milos Forman's second film in America, guys. And it is an adaptation of Ken Kesey's novel of the same name. And it is about... All right. To avoid going to prison, Randall McMurphy, a criminal played by Jack Nicholson, makes himself seem insane, so he is sent to serve his time in a mental institution instead. He mingles with the patients who, like him, are kept in line by the discipline of head nurse Ratchet, portrayed by Louise Fletcher, also, guys, recent R.I.P., uh, another reason I think we are looking at this movie. Um Gradually, McMurphy stands up against the absurd prison-like rules and leads his fellow inmates with him in his rebellion, but he is punished by electroconvulsive therapy, uh, and after the suicide of a young patient makes him revolt, and he undergoes a lobotomy after having trying to strangle the nurse in one of cinema's darkest, craziest moments ever. So, guys, <laughs> one flew of the cuckoo's nest. Uh, I saw this movie. I think my dad showed me this movie. I think we rented it on VHS for Mr. Movies. Shout out to Mr. Movies in suburban Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, wow. it's one of the early formative uh, cinematic moments I remember, like seeing a real movie, a movie oh, that shit. packed yeah, yeah. a huge punch. He showed me 2001. He showed me One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. He showed me Little Big Man, another uh, <laughs> LOL. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That's a dusty old boomer title. Wow. <laughs> it is. That is the most boomer film of all time. That's I think. so deep cut. It kind of is, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, but this movie, um, I, I actually remember me and my brother watching for the first time when we rented it from Mr. Movies and uh, absolutely blew me away. Um, not only just Jack Nicholson's performance, but the movie you know, is so uh, charismatic and it's, it's fun, like you were saying before we started recording. The movie is fun up until a point and then it takes an incredibly dark and Jesus. disturbing uh, plunge into the void. Um, but I was just curious, you know, maybe Tom, do you have any formative memories around seeing this film? I mean, it's, it, it is one of a yeah. kind I, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. I saw it. Uh, you know, it's a very, it's, it's one of those titles, you know, that you hear about even before you've seen it. And I was a little kid and it was just, you know, it was, it's a very TV movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like sure. regular classic three channel TV and then like TBS, it probably plays every other day, that kind of thing, you know, but sure. I saw it, I think I saw it like on the Sunday night ABC movie. And so it was a little edited and I didn't know about the sucker punch. There's like three sucker punches in a row at the end of the movie. And I didn't, I was pretty yeah. young still. And I remember as we were saying earlier, like you were just referencing like, all right, this is, uh, you know, it's Jack. Like it's all led by Jack and everybody knew Jack Nicholson and like Jack, bad Jack Nicholson impressions on Johnny Carson, you know, Jack, you know? <laughs> and so there's, so you're, what I'm saying is you're riding on that. And then it's just like, like, um, boom, bloody suicide, boom, very harsh depiction of shock therapy, boom, almost strangled yeah. to death in a very realistic manner. 
And then, and then the, the, I guess a positive note is, you know, uh, chief winds up, you know, busting out in that gorgeous beautiful ending. And that's a, that's an ending that is to be envied. So anyway, I'm just saying that it, 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 I was kind of like, it was kind of making sense as like, this is a pretty fun Jack Nicholson movie. And then it like punched me in the stomach. And then I've seen it like a million times. I never saw it in the theater, but, uh, yeah, Yeah. TV helps. And it feels like you just, it's one of those movies too. And then I'll shut up. It's just like, um, it feels like even if you haven't seen it, you have, because it's like, you know, like this scene happens and that scene happens. It's like constructed to exist in this cloud of um, public uh, consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like really woven in. It's woven into the fabric of American society now. And it's funny. You said you saw it with your dad. I, I feel like I must have seen it with my dad, too. It's like at the you know, uh, triumvirate of uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Cool Ham Luke and Clockwork Orange, you know, and uh, I think, <laughs> but uh, it's hard for me to really remember the first time I saw it. I definitely saw it on TV too, saw it multiple times growing up. And, you know, it's tropes, the tropes that it introduced into the film lexicon and TV show lexicon are just everywhere. You know, yeah. like you said, you feel like, you feel like, you know, you almost, if you know, if you've never seen it, you know, Maybe The Simpsons is referencing it here right, or something. You know? Exactly. Like all those tropes, the, the calming music in the background, the uh, you know the rebel who's liberating. You know, actually, it's funny because Colham Luke is like that too, like a rebel getting. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Um, Again, um, they're both very boomer um, <laughs> heroes, and, not, and I don't even yeah. want to be like boomer. Like I'm not using it in a pejorative, but just like it is sort of like um, boomer icons of like a male rebel. You know, uh, well, you know, all the way from, starting from the book. Yeah, you know, that's 60s. pretty. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like totally. And what's fascinating about that is they don't succeed. You know, as heroes, they fail, but they've got the moral victory. You know, like there's mm-hmm. like a moral victory that they're fighting that that mm-hmm. costs their lives or whatever. But they right. like an easy so this, that's a really interesting psychology. You know, like why not win? But they're like, no, they really love it when their heroes fail. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Easy Rider, they're blown yeah. away. Yeah, you know. If I can say, because, you know, obviously, you know, Jack, as you were saying, um, with this movie, (laughs) is uh, such a big part of it. And it's this is kind of like an obvious, you know, rhetorical question, you know, but it's like when you really think about this movie and the material of this movie, it's I can't think of another human being on the planet, another major classic actor who could have inhabited the role of R.P. McMurphy, like uh, to to a degree that he is so charismatic in this movie. I mean, just imagine, yeah. like like his performance, what he's exuding, getting all of these, you know, uh, this incredible supporting cast, which we're going to talk about, but all the guys who are yeah. the inmates, getting them riled up enough, and and being so charismatic, and everyone being, it, it's really just amazing. Raise to watch. your hand, chief. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you and you like take okay. it for granted. I'm just going to say, you just take it for yeah. granted that like it's just Jack. Oh, it's Jack. It's Jack. You know, but yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah, is yeah. there really anybody else on the face of the planet who could have well, done that? I have a thought experiment uh, based on the reality. You know, the life of this thing is a novel, and then it was a play, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was the movie. Mm-hmm. So how about th- these apples? Do you like apples? <laughs> I is, love them. Is uh, Leonard, if I'm not mistaken, so, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right, is Leonard Nimoy played McMurphy. 
<laughs> in, in a, thea- in a no. theater film. Is that no. true? <laughs> Go, just Google it right now. Like, you use All the right. internet machine, Evan. All right, I'll do like, it. Uh, Keep talking. I, I'm almost certain because I because there, there, I have a Leonard Nimoy biography, autobiography, and there's a still of him. Like, and he's like McMurphy, like with the, Shut up. With the cap. Yeah, look. Are you googling it? So anyway, what I'm saying, my point is, really trying. While you're up, but while, while you're looking it up, what I'm saying is, there you go. I mean, we can't see it because it was a play. I guess they didn't film it or anything. But um, others have done McMurphy. Is maybe all I'm saying. Holy right. shit! It does look like that was that's true. Yeah, and there's there maybe yeah. there's okay. some stills of it too. Actually, no, there is no. <laughs> it, is, it is autobiography. It's, it's there's there. stills from it. You know, oh, him being in character with the nurse. So, <laughs> he's got a fucking. Hard. He's got a, he's got a beard like mine. <laughs> so, oh yeah. my! He's got kind God. of a uh, Christopher Street like leather cap. Yeah, he looks it's like cruising. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, kind of weird. Cruising. So so yeah. anyway. That well, did happen. I mean, but there are other people up for the role too, right? Like, um, like didn't Kirk Douglas like think he was going to play it at some point? Well, too? can like, I? Like, yeah, can um, I tag in there? Is this a good segue yes, to please. getting to the origin story of this film before yeah, sure. we bask in its? Uh, let's start from amazing... the beginning, more or less. <clears throat> let's start. Let's start from the beginning, and then we'll get into some of the great scenes and the and of course the we'll spend a lot of time on the supporting cast. That's what I'm really here to talk about. I know. I, um, there's someone I really want to mention. So oh, we will. I, we got to do the cast. Yeah. We will. Let's do a little background because it is fascinating, okay? So what's interesting is that, yeah, this movie as a film starts ground zero with Kirk Douglas, okay? So he acquired the rights to the novel back in galley form. So before it was even actually published, he got a galley of this book and uh, back in wow. the 60s and wanted to turn it like, into... But like, no, like 62 or something. 62, yeah. Like so imagine the 60s really even happened. Wow. So, 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 so imagine like he's coming off of what, Spartacus? And like wants to, you yeah. know, do the, make this movie? <laughs> um, that's wild. That's wild. So, so before, he was young enough to have gotten away with it by like totally. 1963. Totally. And so his dream for it was to have it sort of transposed into a play, and then he would portray R.P. McMurphy, and, and it would be a theatrical play. Then the play would be adapted uh, to a film. That was the long sort of thing. But he ran into all these roadblocks uh, from all the studios because they thought it was too depressing. You know, you didn't really see a movie like that, like a movie like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest in 1962 yeah. or three. Again, or anything it's like still that. so early. It's still just the early 60s and Hollywood didn't touch anything that resembled that. That's yeah, like not surprised. So here's where things get a little coincidental. That's pretty some weird movie like weird magic in the universe kind of thing happens here where so Kirk saw a Milos Forman film back then, okay? So probably an early Milos Forman film, not exactly sure which one in the early 60s. But um he saw the movie, he thought he thought that Milos would be a good director for the film. Um and so he wow. sent the book out to Milos, but it got confiscated at the Czech border. Okay, so he never got it. He just never got <laughs> oh, it. Oh, what? Yeah, and so and then so then that was it. They never thought about it for six to seven years, and so then you know six to seven years go by. Kirk Douglas is unable to get the movie off the ground, right? And so he decides he's going to sell the property. He's going to sell it off to somebody else. Maybe they can have better luck with it. But his son, of course, Michael Douglas. Uh, shout out to Michael Douglas, a star of our One Fucking Hour on Disclosure. If you haven't uh, right. <laughs> seen that's that. He's most famous for That's disclosure. what he's known yeah. for. He's, he's the Disclosure guy. Everybody. Check that yeah. out in the archives. Um, yeah. But anyway, six to seven years later, Michael Douglas said, Hey, Dad, 
give me one more chance with the movie. And so, um, so, so he, he had, and so he was going to lead the charge to get it financed, Michael Douglas. And so he randomly sees Milos Forman's Fireman's Ball because it had come out around that time. And then he thought Milos should be a good director for the movie. So he sent a copy of the, of the script to Milos, not knowing that his dad wanted Milos originally. So yeah. this was just like one of these wow. things that was meant to be. Okay, They both independently thought of Foreman. That's cray. Isn't that wow. insane? So That's weird. A- well, that has to be related. That, that's got to be related, right? I mean, the Douglases, mm. they probably talked. No, this is a this is a. Can, Milos can I mention Milos, this is the about Milos Forman? <laughs> sure, he was he was like a popular you know art house guy back then, right? Like, I don't know about in sixty two. Fireman's though. Ball was like a kind of a hit though. Yeah, not it is not all... in sixty two though. When like because because th- that's what I'm saying. Kirk saw thought saw a movie in sixty two. Thought he'd be a good. He saw an early Foreman. Yeah, not yeah. Fireman's Ball. Right. Yeah, that's like what we're saying. Peter or something. This is this is uh, weird. interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's weird. Can I just a uh, quick aside that like this is another movie with that Michael Douglas is involved in, where the villain is like a psychotic woman that's like relentlessly trying to <laughs> destroy your life, right? Uh, like that was Disclosure, Basic Instinct, and uh, uh, Fatal Attraction. The other one, anyway. Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Right. Yes. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. That that is that is that. a there's a there, there's a theme there. Um, so. Anyway, and then we should talk a little bit about Ken Kesey, who is the author of the source material. Do that, um, yeah. Because this is really interesting, too. I mean, this is uh, his background. Uh, you know, he he worked shifts in a mental hospital. So he, he was working, you know, there. And that's where the a lot of the inspiration from this came. And then allegedly, according to him, uh, he participated in MK Ultra. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, which of course totally is the that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is the CIA program that you know tested a wide range of hallucinogens and and amphetamines and 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 it's around that time when he was taking all these drugs, testing all these crazy ass drugs. He was also working as an orderly um, in the psychiatric hospital, and that's where kind of the idea for this came uh, for for the story. And he saw how patients were being treated. He saw that you know he saw straitjackets, he saw the electroshock therapy, and he's like, what the fuck? Why are we treating? People? people like this you know what what why is this like prison conditions you know and uh he was like these people aren't sick like they just need care and they need support and so that was so all of those kind of swirling inspirations is what kind of gave him you know the idea to sort of put this book together however so go ahead yeah yeah well and i was just gonna say uh cheesy's an interesting you know just taking a step back like this is one of those films like taxi driver where there's such a force of talent that's um, yeah, uh, colliding, swirling. kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, together. So it's like, like number one, Ken Kesey. That's a big deal. I've actually, I have read the book. I don't read a lot of books, but I have read Cuckoo's Nest. It's fantastic. I mean, duh. But I'm just saying, like, it is well worth reading because what I'm saying is, it's 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 like a novel, and it's not really like a play. Like he really knows how to write, and it gets quite internal. It's, it's a much more internal experience uh, than, of course, the very stage play-ish film in, 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 book, in a play. But what I'm saying is, um, so Kesey's a powerhouse, and then you meet Foreman, who's on his second U.S. film, like you said, and he, before that, this was t- uh, taking off, oh, which is amazing. And we should do that incredible, yeah. We definitely amazing, love like, to. Like love dry to. comedy. It's just so great. And it's great to have 
uh, like a foreigner looking at the United States, and that's happening again with Cuckoo's Nest. But then, of course, like we say, there's Jack, you know. So, but but the, I guess what I'm saying is, let's spend a minute on Kesey here. Is my point. And um, one thing that's colored my feeling about film is I happened to catch on the David Letterman show when I'd stay up too late as a kid and watch it. And Kesey was on one night, and David Letterman said, uh, "What'd you think of the movie? You know, they they made your book a movie." And he said. What? Everybody asked me that. No, I haven't seen it, and I won't see it. I'm going to die not seeing it. And he says... And I said, I swear to God, I will never see your cheesy piece of stuff in my life. I swear <laughs> to God I won't see it. And so when it opened, it premiered in my hometown. And Ooh. They, <laughs> they called, and all the press wanted me down there to see it. I said, that's like calling and saying, hey, uh, the Hells Angels are raping your daughter in the parking lot. Would you like to watch? Ooh, <laughs> ooh, my, oh, my. Uh, but <laughs> that is, that we are going to call that, that's on YouTube right now, and I just rewatched it. And I remember that wow. as a kid, and I thought, wow, I really like and respect this guy, and I read the book around that time, and I was like, well, I'm on Team Keezy. You know what I mean? Like, So I've had a problem with this film somewhat. But anyway, Keezy's a real character, and total side note, this book was a huge hit and it financed the further bus and the whole Mary Prankster movement that is depicted in, um, what's it called? Like, uh, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Oh yeah. yeah so that's yeah. a huge, and I've read that book too. And so yeah. Ken Kesey and his friends in the early to mid sixties, all financed by the cuckoo's nest novel success started hippies, the whole yeah. hippie thing, acid, yeah. psychedelic yeah. music, raga, strobe lights, happenings you know grateful dead tie-dye t-shirts right all the Unreal. whole thing the whole hippie thing is ken kesey's uh you know he's the conductor of this crazy orchestra called the Barry picture so that's just a strange tidbit you know so he's a powerhouse <laughs> and the book is very special uh and so um i'm not surprised that someone wanted to make a film of it but uh i guess and i'll shut up it's just I feel like it does feel a little caged in in the form of a play and, and, and a, and a, uh, and, and a, and a movie. And maybe the last thing I'll say here is um, it, sometimes when I was reading the book, I thought, who would ever make, could you make a film of what this book is doing? So, well, can I clarify weird. for the folks at Pretty home? Different. Yeah, just for the folks at home who may be curious about if you haven't read the book, the book is very different in, in, in that. Well, yes, you said it's very literary. It does get pretty psychedelic, and it does get pretty does. impressionistic too. Dreamy, I mean, yeah, very, because because you're because but but you're you're not inside the mind of I think you're not inside the mind of R. P. McMurphy. You're inside the mind of a, a schizophrenic Native American character. That's that's the I, I think the, narrator, that's the, yeah. that's yeah. the the main character of, of the book, which is different, obviously, than right. the movie. And it's chief. perfect for literature, yeah, chief, because everything's very heightened. I said impressionistic, hallucinogenic. And it just wouldn't, that wouldn't translate really no, no. at that time on screen or any time, really. So I think no. that might be a, one of the main. It'd be more like David Lynch, yeah. actually. Right. If you were to do the novel, adhering to the novel, the tone, it like would feel like head. a David Lynch movie. Yeah, like a racer head. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, it's interesting. Yeah. And that's why he refused to see it because he felt like it was an assault yeah. on this poetic you know, work of, of uh, art that he made. Right, and I understand this point exactly. So that's kind of the difference there. Um, Okay, so one of the just real quick, just to get through some of the backstory stuff. um, One of the things that's uh, 
just super fascinating to me is the care is the real life person Dr. Brooks. Okay, so Dr. Brooks was the real life. Um, I guess I don't know what you call him, but he was the main doctor that was that that was at the head of the hospital that they used as the location in the film. Okay, Milos likes to work in practical locations, and many hospitals turned him down to shoot this film in because of the way that it was going to portray not only the staff but also patients and just the whole sort the of whole, process. Yeah. This the is whole, Oregon, right? Yes, it was shot in Oregon. So there was one hospital in Oregon run by this Dr. Brooks who it was, I think, outside of Salem, Oregon or around there or something. He welcomed them in because, and this is amazing, he was quite progressive, I I, I hear. He's also in the film. He plays the oh. doctor. He plays the doctor that... Get uh, out of here. Yeah, no, no. He plays the non-actor. He plays the doctor that Jack Nicholson talks to when he first arrives, when he says... Like he's like, uh, how much was that uh, trout? Yes, partner, you know exactly. That's Jack's talking. Oh, wow! Okay. Exactly. So that's Mister. That's Doctor Brooks. So Doctor Brooks, um, but he, you know, as I said, very progressive. He welcomed them in because he thought Hollywood coming to the hospital could be extremely therapeutic for the patients. Okay, and um, and he also uh, wanted to serve as the tech supervisor or tech advisor on the film. And he actually looked over the entire script, changed dialogue to reflect oh. um, real terminology, f you know, helping the medical professionals sound more real and lifelike and more accurate. Can I like ask that. a question? Yeah. Um, just because this is pinpointing exactly what you're getting at. Um, I've been confused over the years. Like when I first saw it, when is it set? Oh. Early 60s, right? I, I actually, like not, I don't, that probably makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because. I'm so, not sure though. I guess, so I guess what I'm saying is that terminology changes, obviously. So it's not a reflection of 1975 psychiatric hospitals, but like 1962. I'm assuming, right? And I'm so assuming. he would have enough, and yeah. he would have enough understanding by I'm sure decades of being in the institution of yes. going like this is a reflection of like because things changed from 62 to 75, somewhat at least I'm sure. So he probably had some idea to um, you know to yeah. have a more antiquated depiction yeah i mean the the pants aren't aren't bell bottoms right so it's probably not the 70s to your point you know yeah and he's but also, very i mean go ahead i'll go ahead I was just going to say, sorry, there's a delay in our recording, so it's always like, you go, you go, you go. Um, the, I, I was just going to say that like he, he, he was, um, you know, sent Dr. Brooks, he, as Dr. Brooks, was sensitive to, you know, uh, the, the depiction of these older, antiquated, more, you know, uh, styles of, quote unquote, you know, treatment you know, for these uh, patients, these types of patients. So um, he, he was like one of the reasons he he um, he actually allowed it to happen is because he's like, like at first he was like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this because it's going to show those awful sides of what this sort of, you know, process is like. But he's like, well, it's not a documentary. This is a, you know, narrative scripted film. So when, once he adjusted that sort of mindset towards what they were about to do, he could get, he could, because it wasn't going to be a negative reflection on what they're doing in Salem, Oregon, you know. Um, but if I can, gentlemen. It looks pretty negative to me, though. It looks like a real indictment of the institution. No, no, it does, but not like, you know, but he was like, it's not a documentary, them coming in here documenting what uh, I do. So he's being you protective know. of the specific location. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but 
this is the best part of this, okay? And I don't know if you know about this, but one of the things he negotiated, Dr. Brooks negotiated with the producers of the film, was that it was very important um, to him uh, that he uh, include the patients, the real patients at his real hospital in as many areas of the filmmaking process as possible. So he didn't... So oh, behind and in front of the camera? Behind behind uh, the camera, mostly behind the camera, working in jobs in the electrical department, oh, catering, shoot. everything. So the real patients Dude. of the hospital are working to make this movie happen, which Dude. has like they're Amcons. making this like Jack Nicholson's Jello. <laughs> Yeah, in the background. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, so oh, no. that's so crazy. Yeah, so it's it's amazing. And get this, guys: eighty-five patients worked on this movie. Real patients worked on this film. No idea. And, what? Um, as gaffers, electricians, caterers, um, wow. and and it, it's amazing because uh, Milos actually reflects on this and um, said that at the beginning of production, he remembers this one guy. This one patient there who couldn't put three words together at the start of the production, but by the end of the whole process, he was ordering people around and like you know getting wow. really really That's into it. There should and, have been a documentary about the making. Oh, it would have been amazing. Uh, you know, yeah, amazing. That's so it. so that to me just really stood out as like a holy shit, yeah. you know, sort wow. of wow. thing with this with this film. Um, and uh, but. What they learned as they were doing this is they learned that a lot of the patients, this is the con side of it, a lot of the patients there were actually criminally insane, okay? Oh, so so fun. So uh, they later discovered that the guy who's the most famous arsonist in all of Oregon, they gave the job in the electrical department, wiping down lamps with cans of kerosene and things like that. Of course. Um, there was also one guy who managed to, who, who tried to escape by climbing through a window and he fell and injured himself. So it was pretty, you know, quote unquote crazy uh, on set, you know, with all of the stuff going on. But it's just fascinating. Well, it's, it's, the fascinating. it's the 70s. Wow. Yeah. Part of the well, history. Of can I, uh, not to bog down on maybe another tangent here, but just uh, one of the revelations I had when I first saw the film, one of the upsetting moments when I saw this film, Mind Blowers, was that revelation when, uh, you know, Nicholson is looking around and he's realizing, like, I was, I didn't know and he didn't know that everyone here is voluntarily, oh. you know, there. Now look, I'm, I'm voluntary here, see, I'm not committed. I don't have to stay here. I mean, I can go home anytime I want. You can go home anytime you want. And uh, except him and like a couple, maybe like Michael Barron. <laughs> so no, and so I was blown away. So it's funny that you would say that where a guy is quote unquote escaping because they're all, I mean, I don't know if in, what I'm saying is in the film, it's depicting them as self-admitted, but maybe that's not so much the case in the actual institution. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But isn't that a mind blower? Just a little tangent. Like, uh, yeah. that always gets me that's because uh, you get a sinking feeling because you, the viewer, and Jack, when you're first seeing it, are just assuming like, well, this guy, like, uh, they're not going to get him like, a, you know, 100 miles from a town. Like, are you kidding me? You know, but they're like, no, I'm fucked up. And this is I really like being here. It's like it's, it's a horrifying. It's maybe the most. It's amazing. Moment, right. Is it just uh, me? It's so great. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. And it's also his realization that he sort of self-owned himself by like he was trying to get out of prison. He's oh, trying yeah. to get a cushy break from prison. But he ended up like basically signing himself up to stay in this mental institution forever. You know, like but I guess such just, a great. It's a double realization that, and everybody there who he thinks 
are crazy or what you know who he thinks whatever that they're all uh yeah yeah voluntary it, it's nuts yeah, I, I, totally I don't know that always much. got me because um well he has a big uh, reaction to it and it's just like uh i think it's one of the um i think it's one of the key moments in the film of what the film's trying to say and do you know what i mean because it's not it makes it much more complicated a depiction and it's more of like a, a it has a broader scope about like general insanity and mental illness in society and, and it's not isolating like, well, these hundred people are lock them up, throw away the key. They're bananas. It's just like, no, they're like deeply wounded. They have a lot of mental problems. They need a lot of therapy. And then you can extrapolate that and go, well, they're basically just representations of society in general and not so much these huge outlier, you know, maniacs. Right. You guys know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Point. I mean, he's trying to like, even though he's, he sees them as being more insane than him, but also because these things of them as having real, more real problems than he does. Cause he's faking it. Right. Yes. He's faking being crazy. Right. And, but, um, and, but he's also sees them as real people that he sees them as people or the institution sees them as like insane or whatever. Right. So, yeah. but his realization there is that like, even though he sees himself as the most sane one that he has just been committed to the hospital for the, for the insane. So yeah, that is, yeah. It's a crazy moment. I, well, there's something about the authenticity yeah. that, just to, just to the point of the authenticity of the film, I'm not like it is a great movie and a great play. And I was sort of just looking into like uh, you know like other people's reactions, like Ebert's reaction to it specifically. You know he's going to come up. I vote but, no. You know, one of his. <laughs> Got to have an Ebert like reference it. every episode. He did like it, um, but he had some problems with it. And I think one of them was just that you know that the. Um, the the issues of insanity and mental hospitals and stuff, that that is a part of the film but it's it's so reduced you know and that there there is a lot of like um the the idea that they could just solve everyone's problems with therapy and pills it's just it's it's very like reduced to the bare minimum and all the people's all the characterizations are reduced to like a minimum almost like a stock character or something that's a good thing for for a play or for a film yeah. you know for you to feel the the emotion but it, it makes it, he says it's so cartoonish in a way that it makes it less about like a mental institution, like properly, you know, more, less of a criticism about prisons and institutions, even saying. though that's part of it. And more of yeah. a, a, a criticism of like a rebel in society, you yeah, know, that, or that, that's really more what it's about right. than like, well, that's I what I was saying. that was interesting. Yeah. I agree with him in a way. It's like, uh, in the sense that uh, I don't think this film is, a, you know, there's expose muck raking films like the, the completely forgotten Brubaker with Robert Redford. Robert Redford, you know, like a big Hollywood liberal, like these kind of guys make these films that you're talking about, Marcus, like that Ebert was, where it's like, this is a scandal, you know, the China syndrome or something, you know, or like Silkwood. Yeah, right. And like, those are about like, we got to stop the corruption and stop the XYZ stuff. And like, this is not that. This is a metaphorical uh, book film play about, um, like what I was just saying before, where it's like, it's not about the setting. It's not about mental patients. It's a it's 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 a it's a big um, abstract representation of life as uh, yeah. on Earth in in general. And that well, there is mm-hmm. these people who are like medicating themselves uh, and and uh, and wallowing in their problems and being controlled by overseers. You know, on and on and on, and have regular lives. People who have regular lives are as damaged often. As these patients mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. But then there's this yeah. guy, and this is the baby boomer hero theory. He's like the first hippie kind of McMurphy. And that's why it really resonated with young readers of like Jack Kerouac and stuff, 
where he's mm-hmm. like, um, hey, man, what if you go the other direction? You know, and it's a little it's a little corny <laughs> for me because we've lived through so much of this. But it was very refreshing for, again, literally baby boomers in a very conformist 50s coming out and going, hey, man, what if we walk backwards and against traffic? You know, and like just in a general sense. So it's not really about the mental health institutions. I got to tag Right. What do you guys think? Oh, okay. Well, I just wanted to quickly about the beat, the, this, the Cassidy, you know, he was like, Casey was friends with Neil Cassidy yeah, and stuff. Right. He did view himself as like a conduit between the beat generation and like and the hippie generation. He literally was that. But it's like, instead of being like someone that like, re, re, you know, withdraws from society, it's like, why don't you put this like freak, this like rebel in society to mess things up? Let's right. like, stir the pot, you know, exactly. let's take the the beat out of obscurity and drop them into society and see how that stirs things up. And that could be a and real drop the McMurphy, Drop the McMurphy icon into a conformist, mentally ill, quietly, desperately dying inside society. And that's yeah. one yes. purpose, you know? Yeah, I, 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 it's okay. I, I just wanted to respond to kind of what you guys were. Yeah, all of this, um, you know, uh, with because where like you, you see sort of an honest depiction of a mental institution for the criminally insane, you know, like with titty cut follies or something. This is not that at all, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Ooh. right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. It's not that. Right. This is th- this, and right. even in 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 Milos's words, you know, is a story. Yes, about a rebel, uh, a hero who questions authority, a, a power, and he becomes that hero. He becomes that that sort of fo- you know folklore hero. But then, mm. in the process of doing what he is, he's the one that becomes the nut. You know, and 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 mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, and that's sort of what he's examining with this is like you know the 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 insanity or the craziness of these of people like R. P. McMurphy who then you know cross over into the other side. You know, and it's yeah, more I, of a, more totally, of an allegory, totally more of a meta- metaphorical allegory than it is a depiction of you know the you know mental institutions of America. Even though there's themes of that in the film. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting your point, though, like, uh, or what Foreman was saying, which is like, like the the the, the anti-hero. What we're saying here, McMurphy, he's not doing so great before the institution, but then this a shock a situation that he's in has yeah. also kind of like mutated him, and he's maybe gone too far over the edge of being like an outlier and like bucking the system and all that stuff, and that can damage that person too. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, going we- on. Well, he tries to cheat the system, and then he pays for it. You know, like in 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 a lot of ways. Um, one thing, if we can, unless Marcus, you want to tag in on the end of that, put a bow on that for us. Uh, oh, just yeah, just that. Uh, well, I was wondering about you mentioned Titty Cup Follies, and I was wondering if you're with if you're sort of the sort of stories about palace intrigue and the making of. If you were going to touch on Haskell Wexler and like and the sort of drama <laughs> that yeah around that, did you read into that at all? I did. Because it, yeah. it does. It, it does connect with Titty Cut Follies because, you know, like just oh. to maybe this is a good segue, but like his what he was saying was because he, you know, he got fired from the movie, right? And he has a lot, he has a whole, he finally came out and started talking about it and stuff. He's and, the um, cinematographer, oh. we he's, should say for the audience. Uh, Haskell Wesley, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he was uh, on board in the film as the cinematographer, very famous, iconic cinematographer and filmmaker. And, yeah. and, and he was oh, the yeah. cinematographer, but was excused and fired by Michael Douglas uh, <laughs> off this movie. But go on, Marcus. <laughs> He basically shot the whole thing except for two minutes, he says, you know, and then Bill Butler, who's also a acclaimed cinematographer, did like Jaws, you know, in Greece, uh, stepped in and they both had the Academy Award for it. But what he was saying was that, um, 
you know, that he, he clashed early on with Milos, who was like, who he thought had the wrong take on it, right? He was saying oh. that Milos was actually showing the crew titty cut follies. And so, and then the first few days oh. of shooting, that it was a lot heavier and looked and like more depicted more like 19th century style mental institutions right. and stuff. And that there was a big clash. Evan, do you want to, I don't know, I don't want to steal if you if you read into this too, but he was saying that he, he clashed with the, um, that Milos had like a showdown with the production designer on set. Like that was like, like he was like, are you really going to make this like do this the wrong way? You know, and they had this big argument in front of the crew and stuff. And that sort of caused like a rift with um, a problem with Milos, like in the rest of the crew that they lost kind of faith in him in the middle of the, of this production. Yeah. This yeah. Is my, this is from Haskell. Who's a little butthurt about being fired from the movie. Right. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, all I know is Milos's side, which, you know, he, he, he sums up in a very Milos sort of way where he basically said, you know, a uh, cinematographer's ideal movie is to make a movie without actors, you know, and it's, and there's no actors, Uh-oh. you know, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then a, now this is the then, man who made man on the moon, by the way. Okay. Hang on. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, Milos has some, I, some I, pluses and some minuses. So. I got to get the other side of his yeah. quote though. And then he goes, uh, oh, but, sorry. but for a director, the, the, uh, you know the 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 best way to make a film is without a camera. You know it's just with the actors. You know, so he basically <clears throat> says they can never truly be happy, and um, and right. uh, but a lot of other people basically said that uh, Milos was you know very he was early on in his career and he wasn't as experienced in dealing with you know an American cinematographer making films more mm-hmm. of a Hollywood Hollywood sort of way and you know yeah. he was you know doing things his own way and I mean if you look at Taking Off it's much more obtuse than One Flew of the well, Cuckoo's well, Nest that's not, that's not a Hollywood movie you know no. that's a weird independent film so yeah. that's a good point I never thought of that yeah. that's his yeah. first Hollywood film uh, yes performance yeah. Uh, yeah. Cuckoo's Nest that's interesting and, so of course he would and Haskell Wexler was a director too you know so like he was mm-hmm. like um, right you know, I, I think that they were that there was some like speculation early on that that might happen. That he, and then he was saying that he actually didn't have faith in him because he thought that a foreigner wouldn't have wouldn't understand the intricacies of America, which I think is wrong. You know, but but um, but um, we, we've dealt I with that, that with Stroisik and uh, Herzog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's nice you know? to have that. I mean, it yeah. often is nice to have the. The perspective, yeah. the people that understand us better than we understand ourselves. Oh, you know? I love it. I love foreign <laughs> depictions of, of the United States. Very, always interesting. Always so funny. Now, now, you know, we've been talking at this time about like um, uh, the institution, the day to day, and these rooms full of mentally ill patients. Now, maybe let's start fleshing out, uh, you know, the character actors who play these indelible characters, the people who aren't Jack, you know, who dominates the film, Jack, and then you know, uh, and of course, Ratchet. The incredible cast of supporting It's my favorite players. part let's, about the movie. Let's my do favorite, it. Let's go my, through it. My my favorite part about the movie is the is the fact that this is this this is literally an all star character actor uh, yeah. movie, and and that's what endures with me so much. You know, thirty years later, whatever, seeing oh, yeah. it now is just Martini. that. You know, Mr. Fucking Martini. Okay, <laughs> let me just tell you about Mr. Martini. It's the all uh, before they were all star, all star cast. You know. Yes, I love those yeah. type. Yeah. Yes, there were a yes. lot of them were. Uh, this got them, uh, you know, on the radar of Hollywood, and they they had careers. Yeah. Even Michael Berryman. You know. Okay, you want to start <laughs> like, there, so go ahead. I do. I'm going to start <laughs> Michael with Michael Berryman 
and Vincent Scavelli in the same movie. Who is the for everyone? He's the teacher in Fast Times, you know. Yeah, and uh, he has the droopy he's face. Very, yeah, yeah, he's very incredibly tall, droopy face guy. But uh, okay, well, all right, well, whatever. We'll start with Michael Berryman, and I want to start because <laughs> his existence, his mere presence, standing, <laughs> is a joke. It, like a joke plays off it. Because it's when Jack's going around saying, like, raise your hand for the World Series. And he just looks at Michael Berryman, who's just staring into the air, and just goes, I'm not even going to. Like, you know, he doesn't even say anything. Jack's just like, ah, That's the best. That's, like, not that guy. And it's like, classic. holy shit. And when I first saw it as a kid, I was like, yeah, who is that guy like? And I thought, when I saw Berryman for the first time, I thought, oh, well, they got someone who's, you know, uh, Part of the institution he's that's not an actor but then he's fucking in hills have eyes you know like a year later and he's a famous uh character actor michael fucking berryman is in this film and his presence is i don't know i'll just say it's indelible his first like, big role you know he, he's like <laughs> chained <laughs> up he's like chained up to that like that that wall like he's almost like crucified yeah, yeah. on that wall when they first see him the, yeah there's that's a sick. weird like uh deleted scene where he's chained up there and he's like he's peeing yeah, and um, Whoa. and Jack's like, get him off the wall. I'm like, I don't think I dreamed it, but I swear I, I think got to see that. I hope you did. He's like, he's chained up yeah, against the wall in that Christ pose, and he's peeing. And Jack's like, you know, get to the bathroom or whatever. Like, Look get him in a stretch. That's very crazy. <laughs> All right, I'm so on Michael Berryman, uh, Michael Berryman, in uh, two seconds. I, I'll indulge this. Sorry, is uh, I saw a Q and A with Berryman years ago, and he was saying that uh, he almost had a brush with Hollywood three years before because he said that um he was waiting in line to get ice cream at venice beach you know michael berryman getting some ice cream and uh steven spielberg walks by and goes excuse me you should get an agent you should be in the pictures you know because he thought he was a striking <laughs> he cut a striking figure it's michael berryman you know and i don't think berryman even considered being in hollywood he was just like i'm a guy i got this you know affliction what are you going to do and uh, and so he said that was the first time he he had Hollywood knocking on his door, and uh, it indirectly led maybe to Cuckoo's Nest, I think, because it got him thinking. Mm. His encounter with Spielberg got him thinking, like maybe I should be in the pictures. So number one on our list, Michael Michael Berryman. Michael Berryman. Yeah, and and I want to just contextualize too that this before we get into the other character actors, this movie does a tremendous job. Just to talk about one scene in particular. That that first sort of group therapy session, you know, yeah. where that where that guy Harding, you know, is is talking about his oh, wife, Harding. and 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 Harding <laughs> is Harding, like, I, I'm a Harding guy for sure, yeah, totally. yeah, I'm Team to Harding too, yeah, to, 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 total like there, there, there's something very Dan Clowes about this movie to me, yeah. and it comes yes. it comes it comes alive in that scene too, where you really you know you're seeing the, seeing everything through McMurphy's eyes, and and you're seeing these guys these just these larger than life characters, and they're inhabiting these characters so well, yeah, each and every single one of them, and and you're really getting to know who they are and what their quirks are by this scene yeah. of Harding's wife. And um, special shout out to uh, my favorite uh, in uh, ooh, you know of this bunch. Uh, I'm a fucking Mr. Cheswick guy all the way, dude. Because you know? <laughs> there Eddie are he baby. He's dude, sweet. Yeah, I have Mr. Cheswick days, guys. I have days. I have Mr. Cheswick days. <laughs> Mr. Cheswick moments. Hey. You know, I want my. There's a little Cheswick in all of us. Yes, there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why He's, the movie. I think that's part of the, incredible. People do connect with the characters. Yeah. Well, he he doesn't it's even great. seem like you know who's good. You know, I, I guess a shout out to whoever the hell did the casting. I don't know how oh. this worked, 
but these face like there's the acting, yeah. but just the faces. Oh, alone. the faces Sydney are Lassick's incredible. Face, well, Sydney Lassick's I, face is like seventy percent there. Like yes. you go there just they looking at him. Yeah, but then his acting I, is oh, fucking yeah. on point. Hmm. Well, one of the casting, I um, I know, like shout out to Fred Roos, you know, who was a producer on Godfather and a bunch right. of other movies, but he he uh, got Louise involved you know and mm. I, i'm i'm assuming you got more but like he is the guy that has the amazing casting track record you know the one off the top of my head is outsiders you know where it's like again he picked mm-hmm. fucking you know just baller a- actor after actor you know it's like it's just yeah. another movie that's just stacked with before they were famous yeah. stars so fred in a slightly is- different way uh you know uh, from well, you know, there's pinups <laughs> and then there's uh, the freak show of uh, well, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a little well, different. Let's, well, well, let's let, let's talk about Louis Fletcher just for a second. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah. obviously, uh, everything's been said about her and her performance. I mean, she won the Oscar for this, right? I mean, and um, and 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 she also, you know, I mean, she played this role so well that she got so much heat, you know, outside in the real world, you know, where people basically assumed this is who she was in real life. Um, but it is a stroke of genius in, in in terms of the casting and the way that she is portraying this character because any and I agree with this is the the most dangerous evil uh, like the most dangerous evil in a movie is somebody who believes they are doing good you know and that's mm-hmm. the scariest shit and she she inhabits that so well in this and uh, one thing I thought that was pretty fucking crazy uh, about. Uh, you know her preparation for this movie is that you know her and jack spend a lot of time in uh that you know real hospital like we were talking about and i think touring other hospitals as well and her and jack they made them both witness electroshock therapy for real you know and one of the main who did what uh foreman the producers yeah, producers, okay. director, okay. whoever, the people involved. And um, okay. and she and she's kind of like, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to see this? Well, it's like you have to understand, you know, what your character is um, you know, going to be dishing out, <laughs> you know, what the consequences are, you know. Wow. Um and, and and is harsh. And but but I mean, man, like intense, yeah. man. Yeah. It's incredible perform- it doesn't even seem like she's acting. I mean, that's the that's the real well, mix can of I it. Just, like, say, just my only thing is um there's one great benefit of casting her in that there's no baggage. It's not like Faye Dunaway, meaning you've never seen her before. You know, when she broke out, she's an unknown actress. So she could live and embody Nurse Fletcher because you don't have any other context for her. And that was really helpful, I think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe a typecaster, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I was watching her Oscar acceptance speech today, you know, and uh, it was pretty cool. Like, she, uh, she was like, well, it looks like you all hated me so much <laughs> that you've given me this award for it, and I'm loving every minute of it. And all I can say is I've, I've loved being hated by you. you. You must really hate me to give me this award, and I'm so glad that you all hate me so much, you know, because they hate oh, the character. Oh, right. right. Yeah, no, right. She's, she's a villain. She's a detestable character. And right. then she says, uh, she's like, thanks her parents but she does it all in sign language because i guess mm-hmm. her, her mom both of her parents are deaf right oh, wow. like, right that's wow. kind of a famous moment in the oscars and uh what i just have one observation just getting into the character for a second 
is um, I've seen some criticism, I think, and this is my Pauline Kale reference of the episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Pauline Kale. It. Yeah, it's inevitable. <laughs> Pauline Kale, like the film, okay, she's a little wobbly on it. But one thing that got my mind thinking, and, the, you know, I don't always agree with Kale. And that's the point. It's like she's stimulating to my mind about a film I might love, and she has a different take on it. Like she didn't like The Shining. It was an interesting read. But she was saying that there's this kind of, she didn't like the gross element of, right from Kesey's book, of this Oedipal mother, like, well, not even Oedipal, but this mother hatred. Because if you do take a step back, it's like, you know, she was saying sort of like, Ken Kesey must have a real problem with his mother. Mm. And um, for people who really hate their mothers, like, um, I think it might resonate pretty strongly. I don't happen to. But uh, so I can't relate to it directly, like, you know, right. being honest, like men who hate their mothers, because that's a big thing. And I think that that is a huge part of this movie, forgetting, you know, abstracting everything. It's basically this evil bitch mother and you're bucking her and she's wrong. And I think it's reiterated, too, in like how she's steering Billy's mind in the therapy session. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's being she's the surrogate mother for Billy, you know, who has a problem with his own mother. So I just found that like. It felt a little icky when I read Kale's take on it about how like um, there's this Freudian dark place that male psyches take when they have mother problems. I don't know. What do you guys think? Because well, I, I thought of it. Yeah. What do you think? Isn't also that in the in She's the, the only book, real woman character in the book. I'm sorry. Yeah. In, in everything. She's the only female really well, represented. Sorry. There's also like, a prostitute. There's also oh, a prostitute in the movie. Well, yeah, I see no, I know, but I'm, I'm saying, no, no, I'm no, just, I'm saying, I'm making that connection, the mother and the whore, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm saying yeah, that there's yeah. also a misogynistic element there. And then, you know, and then she's all, always, uh, uh, Ratchet's also got her little toady with her all the time too. the, the girl that never speaks. I'm saying big movie. principal character, you know, like, uh, like but I understand completely. Oh, no, I'm just, not criticizing. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm saying that the, the female characters in the film are, you know, um, there's a bit of misogyny to there. And I, I know you're specifically movie. zeroing in on, on yeah. the, yeah, definitely. Well, that's what he's trying to tell them all to do is just be a guy, be a man, you right. know, a, a drink, right. fuck, you know, like. And, and say uh, fuck you to your you know, mother. You know, like it's about yeah. like it's about like males saying like, "Don't tell me," and also it's a hatred against right. like your wife. Like it's all like nagging moms, yeah. nagging mothers, and it's like, "Screw you! I'm right. gonna ride my Harley and get drunk. Maybe <laughs> I'll even crash, mom." You know, and it's just yeah, it, right. It feels a little weird. It is very like rebel. He frames that a lot too. The way that Nicholson, when he's getting in trouble with like the head superintendent guy or whatever, you know, he's kind of like. He's kind yeah. of like a dog ate my homework or like I was a bad boy or whatever. You know, he's always yeah. saying like it's framed kind of like office. a school, like a schoolboy or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the only thing I wanted to add to that was just I think in the book, the nurse character is played very monstrous, very like uh, like very um, uh, heightened, you know, like kind of almost like a dreamlike in terms of takes different cool, forms yeah. and shapes and sizes and yeah. stuff. And it's very surreal. So I um, guess. You know, like yeah. it's I don't think it, it's it's fair to criticize Kesey's right. take, but I think it's it's interesting yeah, to sure. consider that Kesey, Kesey's got a very big mother fixation hang up in a classic Freudian sense. And I think that, you know, he can't help it. It's who he is and it's his personality, but it's a little it's a little gross. Sometimes I get a little grossed out by like like the real mother hatred of this film. You know, this mother is almost like matricide. It's to the point of almost a matricide. Mm, so, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. There'll be some things that like a modern audience wouldn't jive with too. I think that like he's like a statutory rapist who's like the hero of the movie, you know, and he's like kind of being like yeah. openly racist to the chief, like, you know, by today's standard or whatever. So I'm like, he's also the chief's best buddy or whatever. But I think there's oh. some things like that modern audiences oh. just along the lines of what you're saying would like be uh would have issues with. Just speaking hey, of the chief. chief. Just uh, speaking oh, of the please. chief, just I, I'm seeing we're sub ten minutes, and I got a couple things I want to get in before we. We got more guys. We got more characters. Yeah, yeah I have a couple more characters before we ride off into the sunset. Obviously, Will Sampson, who plays uh, the chief, who's awesome. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Ramy too, because Ramy's one of Ramy's best friends is uh, Chief's real life granddaughter. So he has uh, swear, oh, swear. <laughs> so there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of well, actually Ramy's done a documentary about will sampson's son uh which is very interesting which we can link to this so she's got a lot of connection oh, to that family that's yeah cool. so as well you know Super what cool. i have only i have one word to respond to that okay juicy fruit uh, uh juicy fruit. Boy, you sly son of a bitch chief man this movie <laughs> This movie has some great fucking reveals in it. Like it has some great fruit. moments. Like 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 when you were talking about <laughs> when when Jack realizes that you know these people are here voluntarily. When you mm. realize that Dude. is on the level. Come on, Dude. that's movie. That's Hollywood. It's magic. almost like a. It's almost like a, a mystery, like a plot twist. It's you so know, good. like in a well written like thriller. It's uh, like you know, yeah. it's like like because you don't see it coming. He didn't, and like that's the thing. You're taking the ride with with McMurphy, and like yeah. and then like you and him are like juicy fruit. God damn it! So this whole time you were fully cogent. Yeah. You just decided like I'm not gonna fucking talk. I'll just push this broom around slowly, and everyone will leave me alone. And mm -hmm. and and but he's the soul of the film. He is getting back. Getting back to the incredible ending, that is any of the flaws I might feel for this film are, are, are and yes. there's another shout I wanted, Jack Nietzsche's score. Yeah. Oh. Of that like weird slidey, widely. It's a saw. It's a singing saw. saw. You know, it's like. Yeah. Incredible. I have and no just, like, problems with this movie, but go on. No, I got you. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> None for me. The way it, works. I, it, it fills you with such joy and elation watching the it. Ending. Those mo those reveals, the the ending, the reveals, those moments fill you with. You're just in. It's it's just great movie. Like you're just filled with joy and elation, and you're just. I don't know. It just has a real magic where it can when kind of I pull think, you in, and it's like it's almost well, hard to after, like get into the details of like why it works so well. We're just talking right. about the backstory and great acting or whatever. It's, it's hard to yeah. what is the mag magic mixture that makes this but, movie? But for me, the ending, so well. the ending it does a magical job where we were talking about what a downer it is for a long time in the penultimate parts of the film. We're talking about you know almost matricide, bloody torn up neck death suicide and then mcmurphy um both getting hardcore realistic looking shock therapy and being suffocated ultimately by by chief but that ending it like so dark it, it's like your, your soul goes for, no, but the very ending is yeah. like an indelible image and it's so beautiful chief just running into the woods man and that really yeah. that's some good boomer and i again i'm trying not to sound derogatory when i say this the term boomer but what i mean is it's a beautiful rendering of the hippie generation's idea of being freer and getting out of these closed, ugly rooms full of neurosis and just running and saying hello to Mother Nature and your true nature. It's beautiful. I don't think that 70s Hollywood's done it better. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I, to me, yeah. I think this is the pinnacle 
of 70s Hollywood for me. Um, I think it's 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 so perfect in so many ways. The performances, that ending moment, it really is incredible. Um, if I it's can, it's timeless. I mean, it doesn't feel like yeah. seventy-five. You would never be like, oh, this yeah. movie is no. on the nose, nineteen seventy-five. It feels Good really call. timeless. Good yeah. call. Yeah, yeah. That's why it doesn't even feel like it's set in any particular time. It feels like it's set in like the twentieth century. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's so post-war good. generally. Oh, so good, quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I've forgotten earlier, we were rattling off people. Uh, Scatman Crothers is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, hello. And yeah, what's yeah. really, I just want to be petty for one second and get into the weirdness of Jack Nicholson and Scatman and their journey together in film. Yeah, <laughs> because, wild. You know, you're like, you might think, you might think that this is the premiere of those two guys being in the same movie, Scatman and, and Jack, and then they wind up in, of course, The Shining. But they actually were both in um, The King of Marvin Gardens which is the follow-up to, um, and it's a great movie, uh, the, the great follow-up to uh, Five Easy Pieces, the right. Bob Rifleson film. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scatman and Jack are in that too. And I've always wondered if, I'm making this up, maybe it's not true, but I thought I've heard that um, Jack meets Scatman during Marvin Gardens and goes, you're awesome. And they became like friends, friendly. And then he's like, oh, we're doing you know, Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, we got it. I, I know Scatman. I'm calling him. We're going to do this. And then he's like, uh, to Kubrick, he's like, Scatman Crothers, dude. You know, we got to get him. He's like my buddy. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard yeah. anything about that. I, th- I feel like they bonded. Uh, they just they weren't know. coincidental in these films. Yeah. yeah. No. The, one, the one thing I heard was that Shelley Duvall was up for the role of Candy, or like considered for the role of Candy. So she would have been in this and um, wow. The Shining. Wow, yeah. interesting. Now it's getting weird. Um, that been, sorry, you guys are taking weird. it. Over, yeah, you guys are you guys are taking it in other directions. I just wanted to. I've been trying to put a bow on Will Sampson here for about five minutes. Oh, uh, God. yeah. Sorry, I, I I just wanted to also say you know that he's very he's also equally fascinating too because you know he's not an actor and he was sort of his involvement in this movie was basically on a sighting. You know, someone saw him and was like, oh my God, this mm. is the character of this Indian that we need in this movie. And he's actually a painter by trade. He's a very fascinating, um, you know, amazing, wow. you know, person to dig into. Further reading, Will Sampson. Like a, a He's a painter. painter. He's a painter, yeah. Yes, he's an artist. He's an artist. Yeah, so, um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating individual. Um, the one I want to get in, we've sort of talked about a little bit, but it ties into a few things I wanted to quickly get in before the hour's over, and I'm sure you're going to thank me, is Vincent Chiavelli uh, is, is, is incredible in this movie. Obviously, one of the great faces of, of film. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to say one little detail that's buried in a much larger, amazing scene that I love in this movie. Okay, so the Juicy Fruits are in great moment but my favorite actual overall scene in this movie is when they hijack the bus and they go out and they charter the boat nothing is sure. better than that moment when jack is talking to the dock oh, worker and you're is not like, gonna say it this is uh the f- <laughs> famous dr scanlon um but you know uh r- rattling off all these as doctors is amazing but my favorite little moment oh, was Vince, with mr Vincent, harding though mr harding this is mr harding so good. yeah mr harding <laughs> dr scanlon famous Dr. Scanlon, Mr. Harding, Dr. Bibbit, Dr. Martini, and uh, Dr. Seafeld. The famous Dr. <laughs> Scanlon. Him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, is when Vincent Chiavelli takes out the fish's eyeball. I knew you were going to say this. Because <laughs> I hate that scene. 
that actually was so that upset me more than anything when I was like nine years old. I was like, "Don't do this!" Oh, you're still doing it. Oh, we're lingering on this shot, and his face like a moronic fascination. It's like I can't. He I takes out. Jack I look away. It too. Hang on. I look he away. Takes, he takes out, brings it up too. By the he way, he takes out the fish's eyeball. <laughs> he sniffs it and then he puts yeah, it back the in show. the in the eye socket. <laughs> everybody it's amazing that that's in a movie I, i'm um, kidding it's it's, it's, so too cra- it's too crazy that's anyway. the daniel Klaus aspect of this movie that i appreciate so much um, you were gonna bring it. uh good i'm so glad anyway um but yeah uh absolutely i mean i'm glad we talked on um michael so, berryman and everything else but anything else you want to get in marcus supposedly dan devito was in the off-Broadway play too so he's just like rehashing his character oh, wow. that he did in the play he's, which makes he's sense really it's hard to see Danny DeVito uh, and not just think, you know, modern times, the taxi and everything. But like he really transforms as, as Martini. Yeah. Like his yeah. eyes squint and he's, he's so thinking, sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's you just. I want to uh, pick him up. I want to pick him up and hold him. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. What's but up like, with. I was tonight, I was realizing that Christopher Lloyd and Danny DeVito were both in this before they were on Taxi. taxi. Yeah, we oh, talked about right. that. Yeah. yeah. Like. Um, before we recorded, but, uh, we talked about that. Yeah. Oh gosh, oh, okay. I forget sometimes. But yes. I don't know. I guess we've got a minute. Go for it, guys. Whatever you mind. Well, I, I was curious. Like, oh, sorry. I was curious about like why did they? Why did he leave? Why did why? Oh, why didn't he leave? Why didn't Jack? Oh, leave? that's the he had the moment. That's one of the one of those. Well, he great... wasn't allowed to. No, he fucked no, no, it up. The, no, no. At the end, he was gonna yeah. at the drunk night oh, party. Oh, yeah. oh he's right. Staring right. at the window. And then he's like, he's supposed to leave, and he doesn't leave. And the next morning, he wakes up on the floor. So he got too drunk and passed out. I I thought he just got stupid and sloppy. Yeah, like oh shit, I drank. Isn't it more of a decision about his fate or something? You know, it's like more resounding. I thought he just was a lazy fuck. I think it's. I think it's a fail. I think it's a total fail. I think it's a. uh, Yeah, you know, like he is a loser. I think. Yeah, he missed. Yeah, he's a loser. Yeah, he missed the bus because he like. He missed the window. You know, his alarm clock broke, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take on it. There's nothing very more sad. than just, uh, he's very, a sad sack. Very tragic and, and very frustrating. But, yeah, I think that is what. That ending, it really is just like like it's a punching, you know, a punching yeah. bag. You know, like you're like, oh, my yeah. gosh, I forgot about that. The missed opportunity that he had. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. You are really rooting for him when he's going after Ratchet, too. <laughs> Yeah, the power of this movie. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't even talk about Jack Nicholson, really. Not really. That's okay. People have talked <laughs> about. Not, people have talked. Everybody knows about Jack. Jack. Yeah. Jack. How many people talk about the fish in the eye? You know that. It's that. You know that movie with the uh, with the just, hook in the eye. Evan and Pauline Kale. <laughs> yeah, she had yeah, Pauline didn't like it anyway. I I, I also <laughs> didn't I also didn't get to talk about the guy in the wheelchair who comes up with his with his with his uh, cane and hits oh. the punching bag. Yes, I love him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, All right, that was my one cheat. Okay. All right, everybody. That was one. That was uh, one fucking hour on one flew over the cuckoo's nest. One fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. One fucking cuckoo. Um, I'm really glad uh, we did that, and that we're back to form. I just want to say that, like, in the sense of uh, some of these innovations have been fun, and we've had guests and stuff, but this is a hardcore, old school one fucking hour episode, and it's and it's great. I really enjoyed it. You know what yeah. I mean? Just to go back to form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was a blast. I had a blast talking about it. Good to revisit this movie. I, I watched it. I, I finished it just earlier today, and it's it's one of those nice. movies I, I can watch it at any point in time. 
Um, Thanks for the for the knowledge, man. I didn't know all kinds of things. Very interesting. But you guys, I, I shared the Leonard Nimoy connection. I That's hope you crazy. That. That's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> have to so do funny. visual. Let's put up some stills. Of, I think there's a lot of like stills of him. Oh, we will uh, depict Murphy. We will. It's, that's that's isn't crazy. It wrong? Can your head Cra- get around that? <laughs> crazy wrong trivia. He did a, seemed to do. A, he seemed to do a lot of things to try to break the Spock curse, yeah. but nothing worked. Well, like he had well, that you know song what the, about hobbits and stuff. Well, you know and, what like, the name of the auto, Well, you know what the name of his autobiography was, right, Marcus? In the seventies. No. Uh, I am not Spock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess that. Actually, that's a book yeah. about his life. Yeah. That's the title. It's like, oh, and you know what though. He had a second autobiography uh, 25 years later or so, and that was called I Am Spock. Whoa. The so, <laughs> life journey of Leonard Nimoy. That's so, um, wow. Of course. Anyway, um, I was on set with him once, and he did just radiate. Like, everyone was just, like, fixated, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I was on the commercial with him once. It was nuts, yeah. Not Leonard Nimoy. That's cool. Son. That's a cool mm-hmm. one. That's a cool that's, one. That's a cool uh, meetup. You also met Bob Dylan. <laughs> He's met some people, man. Whoa, look I at did, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Isn't that That's insane. Um, Guys, let me just uh, take a minute here to plug my uh, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest portraits that I did last year, if you don't mind. Awesome. <laughs> Here's Whoa. My, 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 my Mr. Chess, Cheswick. You need to make His. a tattoo. You need a tattoo of that. I know. These are like my Russian prison tattoo uh, portraits of um, yeah. uh, the cast of the film, but... Uh, you know, of course, Ooh, you got wow. you got your Chiavelli. Got to have your Chiavelli. Yeah, very hard it's to draw. Cool. It's a hard Those one to eyes. draw. Mr. Fucking oh, Martini. Martini. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's he's it's he's the he's the MVP for me. Like, he is. Uh, his he eyes, is. his squinting. Yeah, it's you know, nickel. He's so yeah, he's so endearing. He's yeah. yeah, he's the. I best. don't know. I don't know. I don't agree with you on that one. We have a difference of opinion on that one. He's great too, and it's, Lloyd, it's Christopher fucking Lloyd, man. Yeah, unbelievable. Nice. So, anyway, just want to thought I'd plug those. That's awesome. You're selling them in the parking lot after the show, right? I am. Yes. Ooh, they'd actually make great T-shirts if we ever wanted to uh, make some uh, yeah. cuckoo no T-shirts. Berryman. Yeah. No, no I, I should have done Berryman. I should have done. That's Berryman. next. You'll do that. That's next. next. I will. I will. I got to work on some more. Mr. Harding. Mr. Harding. <laughs> Mr. Harding. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, on onward and upper guys what's next week let's do it let's um let's talk about next week uh getting back into it again back to back to the gems that we normally cover on this show we cover something that you know a major big film like one flew of the cuckoo's nest now let's talk about a real 70s gem here and this is definitely one of those so it's definitely a tom favorite as well too right i know um, every second intimately you can i can do a <laughs> trivia pursuit on the movie i know every second Every uh, word. Get ready, spray bottle time for next week. Yeah, sorry. Is gonna be one fucking hour on Over the Edge. Starring, of course, Matt Dillon. What year is it, Tom? Seventy eight? What is 70, it? Seventy nine, buddy. It's 79. another we're going back to the to the um I call it the one fucking hour gulch. <laughs> Of 1979 <laughs> and 1982. Oh yeah, <laughs> like like is. our car, our car always winds up getting in that ditch. Like oh, we're stuck in the ditch again. So here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah, 
of course, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, uh, you know, who's done some interesting flicks. I'm sure we'll talk about some of his other work. Yeah, I, there's definitely. definitely a couple I I definitely dig uh, that we'll that we'll talk about. So yeah, that's, but, that's um, cool. Good call. Over the edge next week. I'm very excited. Uh, and then and then the next week's gonna be over the hedge. I think right. Yes. Oh, the, definitely. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll yeah. keep we'll keep this <laughs> theme over rolling. Now. Yeah, over. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, do, I'm, I'm kind of bummed we're not doing it. Rainbow a, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah I'm bummed that we're not doing it. A, a <laughs> I'm bummed that we're not doing two a movie with the word two in the title. You know, for the next one, and oh. just go uh, in order. Caddyshack two. One flew the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> two. Um, Caddyshack two done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's change the uh, let's change. The I do that. That, yeah. That'd be a fun run at some point. Maybe we should try. And... Let's do Caddyshack too sometime. Oh, yeah, that would, well, we're, well, you know, we're talking about it. these top tens that you know, everybody seems to love. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do uh, worst twos. <laughs> worst you know? twos. Or, or, be, or no, best terrible twos. twos. <laughs> terrible, no, terrible twos. Terrible twos. <laughs> terrible twos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I actually, yeah, I can't I, wait. <laughs> I like terrible <laughs> twos. The Sting two. There's a there's a sequel to the Sting. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh my God! All right, guys. Well, anyway. let's wrap it up. Uh, uh, very excited to get back on track here. Wrap this up. One fucking hour on cuckoo. Let's wrap it up. Week. Let's put the let's put the fish hook through the eyeball and finish this episode. Right. <laughs> Sniff that shit and <laughs> stick it back in. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. We are we are uh, going to be doing one fucking hour over the edge. Get your pre watch in. Thank you everybody for tuning in. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel if you like it. And uh, tell your friends. Uh, we're starting to pick up some of that more steam. So definitely spread the good word. And um, peep, peep. don't forget to uh, spay and neuter your pets. Yes, do that as well, too. All right, everybody. Uh, we can't let you go, of course. And I'm very excited to what this is going to be. Uh, we can't leave you without your moment of zen. All right, everybody. Thank you and good night. Have a great rest of your week. Goodbye. Later. Uh, ma'am? Sit down, Mr. McMurphy. That man, uh... Sit down. Will you please sit down, Mr. McMurphy? Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Wicked, man.